Oh no, it's Christmas. And uh, it's just a three-week little mini Christmas series. And the idea is that, uh, you know, there's two kinds of people in my house. There's my wife, who's awesome and Christmassy. And she's like a beautiful little angel at Christmas time with lights and uh, ornaments and, you know, all that kind of stuff. She loves it. She decorates the house. Everything's super beautiful. And then there's Scrooge, and that's me. Uh, because I can't, for the life of me, figure out why in the world you would want to take 50 boxes of something out of the garage up in the loft, take it all down, unpack it all, dust each little thing off, get all the lights, go up on the thing, risk your life putting those up. Risk your life. Husbands... God bless you. And so you risk your life. You're up on the thing and you're you know, hanging there trying to get everything done only to just put it all away like seven months later. I, I, don't, I don't get why. I don't understand that part. Of, no, honestly, really. I mean, I cleaned out my garage a few weeks ago and now there's just Christmas stuff all over the garage. It's very, but that's just my own personal thing. Anyway, my, my point is this. For me, Christmas is filled with stress. And, uh, you know, for some of you, Christmas is like, you've been waiting all year for this. And you couldn't get your tree fast enough. You couldn't get your lights up. You've, some of you haven't even taken them down. You leave them on all year. You just love Christmas, and that's fine. The reason I call it, oh, no, it's Christmas is because... It could be, oh no, it's retirement, or oh no, it's my kids, or oh no, it's my job. There's this, there's, uh, this idea that there's fear associated with a lot of the things in life right now. As a matter of fact, as I talk to people and I get emails and I talk to people in my office, I would say in the seven years that I've been pastor here, this is probably the most fearful time I've heard people talk about. They're worried about the culture. They're worried about politics. They're worried about wars. They're worried about Israel. They're worried about this, worried about that, worried about finances. There's a fiscal cliff on its way. We, you know, who knows what that's going to do, right? There's just a lot of fear. And so one of the things that I wanted to do in the next three weeks is talk about fear. Talk about what, why do we get fearful? And talk about the fact that we have a heavenly father, God Almighty, who does not want us to fear. As a matter of fact, even in the Christmas story, as you read it, you know, um, um, Zechariah and, and Elizabeth don't have a baby. And so an angel shows up and says, don't be afraid. You're going to have a baby. And then an angel shows up to Mary. Don't be afraid. Angel shows up to Joseph. Don't be afraid. Right? There's this idea that when we usher in, and we'll be talking about this in a couple of weeks, what, what, what happened at Christmas is that we ushered in the Prince of Peace. Not the Prince of Fear. Now, Again, we're in a world, things happen, Why get, I get all that. We have kids, we have parents, we have jobs, we have uh, neighborhoods that we live in. But God does not want us to fear. And so what we're going to talk about in the next uh, few weeks is this idea um, about how do we get over fear, what, what, what it is. And, I, and as I kind of look out over the crowd here, um, this fear can come in a lot of different ways. Some of you are fearful for health reasons. You got a pain, you got a thing, you're going for an MRI, you got all this kind of stuff, and you're scared that something's going to show up on a report. Some of you are fearful for your jobs. 
And it comes layoff time and everyone's downsizing and the economy and all that kind of stuff. And so you're fearful about what am I going to do if I lose my job? Some of you are fearful about your kids. You don't know if they're ever going to leave the house or whatever the fear is. You know, you just got all this kind of stuff or if, or if they'll ever come back to the house. You know, the fear ends up in all sorts of different ways. Some of you are afraid for your marriage. You don't know what's going, what's going on. Why, how come things aren't the way they used to be? What, what's going on? Is my marriage going to make it another year? And, and there's fear. And I, I know this about our Heavenly Father. He doesn't want you fearful. I know this too, that there's another entity, Satan, our enemy, <laughs> right? Who wants to do anything he can to rob you of your joy so that you become ineffective when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. That you will be uh, paralyzed by your fear. You, it'll be difficult for you to take steps forward because you're nervous. You're scared about something. It ends up affecting your witness because you're, you're scared, you're fearful. So what I wanted to do was talk a little bit out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, but, but I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Paul and a situation he's in and kind of how sometimes this fear thing can kind of manifest and build on itself. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I'll end up being nervous about something and I don't even know how the thought got there. Like I'll be obsessing about what I'd do if I were in a Turkish prison. Like what, what, where, what in the world, where'd that come from, right? You end up something like, okay, you know, if I were homeless, okay, let's say, you know, how would I make, my, you know, like where, what happens? And there's this great set of commercials on TV, um, for DirecTV, and this isn't a, a plug to DirecTV, although if you sign up and use my account, I get a free month, so uh, we'll, we'll use that later. No, but, but uh, and it's the idea of the progression, this, this thought, if I want to watch it because I love the commercial, um, but uh, uh, check this out, this is, this, is, uh, this is fun. I just love that. But you see the progression, like, you know, this is just what's funny about it is, you know, you start off with, you know, you're on hold and that makes you upset, you know, and the whole thing is if you don't want to end up in a roadside ditch, then you have to buy DirecTV. And we laugh at that because it's funny, but oftentimes I've discovered in my own life, I go through that same process when it comes to fear. A, a thought will enter my mind about something, one of my kids maybe, and I start to, oh, oh man, if that happens, oh, well, then that would happen. Oh, then we'd have to, oh, oh, man. You know, and then I, next thing I know, I'm on the phone with Lisa, you know, going, get rid of the Oreos, you know, like whatever the <laughs> thing is, because, you know, someone was going to choke or whatever, whatever the, the, the thing is. It's like, it, you, this is what happens with fear. It, it becomes irrational. And so you end up doing things like in that one, it's irrational to think, I don't want to end up in a roadside ditch I'm going to buy direct TV. Okay, we all know that's irrational, but oftentimes what will happen is we will have that fear. I don't want to be alone all my life. I'm going to get into this relationship. And the two really don't have anything to do with each other. I don't want to make Christmas horrible for my children. They'll all hate me. I'm going to go into debt. And we use kind of uh, th- this irrational thing of like, I have this fear. That something's going to happen, so I'm going to fix it by doing this, and yet it doesn't match up with Scripture that by doing that, you're going to solve that. Most oftentimes, it has just the opposite effect. So let me just give you a little example of where Paul is. Paul, 
uh, went around and he planted a lot of churches. After Jesus died and he rose from the dead, he met Paul on the road to Damascus and he made him blind. And Paul has this conversion experience. He gets his sight back and he just spends the rest of his life as an apostle going planting churches uh, all around. And like with a lot of churches, once they were planted and started kind of growing and thriving, problems came up. You know, I've heard about some churches that where problems arise in the church. I know this for us, this is like, what? In church, you know, because we're so healthy and perfect. But there are other churches I've heard about around that this happens. And this was just happening to, uh, to Paul. And so Paul would write them letters. Some, some letters, like Philippians, were really encouraging. There were no problems. They were going, good job. It was a thank you note, kind of. Other churches were pretty jacked up. And probably the one that was the most jacked up was the church in Corinth. And so Paul wrote, um, we have these two letters that Paul wrote to that church because there was a whole bunch of stuff going on and they, were, they, were, they just weren't a healthy church. And a lot of scholars believe that First and Second Corinthians, there was actually a, at least one other letter stuck in the middle of there because Paul makes some references to a letter that is obviously not First Corinthians. And for some reason, God didn't, he chose not to have us have that letter, which is fine, but uh, we have these two. And so if you think about Paul and you think about, well, what, what could Paul be fearful of? I mean, what, what is it like? Is, he's got this, he's got two things going against him. One, he's got this church that's unhealthy and he's passionate about the church. He wants the church of Jesus Christ to grow. He wants it to thrive. He wants to see people exercising spiritual gifts. He wants to see them uh, uh, laying aside every encumbrance. He wants to see them moving forward in their relationship with Christ. He wants to see them growing. And he wants to see them set free from their sin. This is Paul's heart. And all of a sudden, he's getting this word that, man, this church in Corinth is on kind of shaky ground. That's one problem. The second problem Paul has is that they're talking behind his back and they're saying stuff about him. Paul, I wouldn't do that, but that church was doing it. And so they'd say things like, oh, you know what? Uh, You know, we talk about Paul like he's some big apostle, but I've, I've met him and it was no big deal. And he wrote that letter and he was really in our face. But then when I saw him, he was, he didn't do anything. I think he's just two faced. And so they call him, they say, oh, he's, he's real bold in his letters, but he's timid when you see him and, you know, and all that kind of nonsense. And then, and then uh, they'd say that he was, he's just doing this just kind of like as a job and he's not really an apostle and he's not really following God. And so um, if you were Paul, you'd be kind of ticked. And what I wanted to look in this section of scripture is the fact that Paul also would have probably have been tempted to be fearful. What's going to happen to this church? What's going to happen to the kingdom of God? What's going to happen with some of these leaders if they, if they fall away? What, what's going to happen? You can imagine how Paul would be just kind of like, oh, man, I wonder if, I wonder if, I wonder if, and how does he handle it? And so at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 says this. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid, again, he, now he's being sarcastic because he knows what they're saying about him, who am timid when face to face, but bold towards you when away. I beg you. When I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be. <laughs> okay. If you got this letter and Paul's coming to town, uh, this is basically his I ain't playing letter, okay? I beg you that when I come, I may not 
have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. He's saying, dude, you think you, you want to talk, you think I'm not fo- a follower of Jesus? You think I'm just doing this for my health? When I get there, we'll, we'll, have, a, we'll have a little discussion about it. And we'll see exactly what's going on. See, Paul, like I said, he's passionate about the kingdom, okay? So here's what he says. I want us to get this because this is going to be the beginning of, of how we see this flesh out, what Paul's saying. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Here's what Paul's saying. I get it. We live in the world. We have an economy. We have elected officials. We have uh, companies that we're employed by. We have neighborhoods we live in. We have all this stuff. We live in the world. We have health problems. We have all this stuff. There's problems. But we don't address those problems the way the world does. And so Paul's beginning to say, look, guys, the church is struggling when I get there, we're going to go over all this stuff, but I'm going to tell you right now, I, I'm not going to do it the way that the world does it. It's going to be done totally different. And that fear, and kind of as we, as we go into this idea of fear, and we think about our own lives, and what happens if our kids, and what happens if this, and what happens if this, God is telling us as a church, and as the church in general, the church of Jesus Christ, we don't address those things like the world does. We do it differently. And so, uh, so watch what he says. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. And he goes on. And he says, we demolish arguments and every high thing, pretension, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And let me ask you a question. That thing that you're fearful of this morning whatever it is, think about it. And I'm hoping that as we talk, the Holy Spirit will reveal to you something that you're really worried about. Is it your job? Is it finding a job? Is it your retirement? Is it your kids? Is it your parents? Is it something going on at home? Your finances? That thing, there's a way to approach it. There are weapons that we have that are divinely powerful. Now, uh, what are those weapons um, that we fight with. Well, let me just give you one. It's the most important one. It's the word of God. God has given us his word for the sole purpose of being able to understand and combat the, the way the world wages war. And so, for example, and it's different. It's, it's much different. So, for example, come to Christmas time and you think, oh boy, you know what? Oh, my kid, little Johnny, uh, you know, wants a bike and we can't afford a bike and he's going to be so disappointed and oh you know and what if what if we have Christmas and this fear what if we have Christmas and we can't really afford gifts and so what do we do we go into debt well that's not how the Bible asks us to wage that war as we go through scripture we realize the best thing our kids can learn the best thing that will help them throughout all of their lives is contentment and yet we, we, we just, we get into the fear of like, oh man, I, I did, what if they don't, oh man, and they might cry or whatever. We need to teach our children contentment. One of the best ways to do that is for Christmas season, instead of buying a bunch of gifts, we teach them how to serve. For some reason in the Bible, servants 
have more contentment than those who are just grabbing, trying to get whatever they can. And this is just a truth in scripture. Hebrews 4.12 says this about the Bible. It says, the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of both soul and spirit, joint and marrow. And it, listen to this. And it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Why am I fearful? And what am I supposed to do about it? The Bible has the answers for that. I'll give you an example. You're worried about your job, worried about losing your job. You know what the Bible says? And Jesus was talking to the disciples and he says this. He says, the birds of the air, they don't toil, they don't reap, yet your heavenly father takes care of them. And here's the truth, the living and active word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword. It says, aren't you more valuable than they? Aren't you more valuable than the birds and yet your heavenly father takes care of them? Now, if I backtrack and I go, oh, I'm fearful for my job. Oh, if I, if I lose my job, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think if we get laid off, Bob should get laid off. I'm going to go into the office. I'm going to make life miserable for Bob so that when it, the layoffs come, they get, lay off Bob and say, right, all this kind of stuff. I don't want to end up in a ditch, in a roadside ditch, so I'm going to. No, 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 the Bible says this. I'm fearful for my job. I have a heavenly father that will never leave me or forsake me. I, I have a heavenly father who knows what I need before I even ask for it. So I need to, I don't know. But my heavenly father cares for me. My Heavenly Father loves me. My Heavenly Father knows everything about me. My Heavenly Father knows that if losing my job is better for me down the road, he'll let me lose my job. Oh, well, what happens to the fear then? Well, again, we go to the two-edged sword. It gets cast out. The Bible tells us that perfect love, this love, this Heavenly Father love, a love of a perfect God, a perfectly loving God, that heavenly father that love that perfect love it casts out fear whom shall i fear if god is for us who can be against us right now here's the thing how do we make that happen in our minds okay so watch the weapons we we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of god in other words when we get fearful it we're, what we're really saying is god won't take care of me God doesn't know what I'm going through. God might allow this. Ah, you know, right? And here's the kicker. If you can remember anything this week, remember this. And we take captive every thought. We take it captive. That Greek word for captive means to be led in by the spear. Like, you know, like, like uh, if you think about um, back in the old days when like one kingdom would go conquer another kingdom or not even back in the day, it's still happening, where one kingdom would go uh, conquer another kingdom and then they'd lead that king and all the people in, they'd have all the spoils and they'd lead them in the the spirit. Everyone would cheer, yay, we got it, okay? Yay, we know. Or or you find, you know, you're watching a movie and they find someone sneaking around the place and so they got them, you know, they they caught them sneaking around and they're like, okay, you know, we're going to come interrogate you. I, I don't know if you ever watched a movie, I mean, the show 24. I used to watch that show all the time. 
before I was a Christian. Um, anyway, uh, and um, so they, they have this scene, and I, I always joke with Lisa because I was a big Jack Bauer fan, but again, that was, you know, back in the day. Uh, but he, he'd, he'd, he'd catch someone and he'd tie them up or do whatever, and he'd say, who are you working for? That's what he'd say, have a gun or whatever. And actually, he sounded really like that. That was a pretty good Jack Bauer impersonation. But, but that's what he'd say. He'd say, who are you working for? And the person wouldn't, you know, and maybe torture him or do whatever. And then finally, he'd give out the information. Listen, this is exactly, this is exactly what we should be doing with our thoughts. When that initial thought comes in, like, man, I hope I can retire. Who, what, who are you working for? Where'd that come from? Who is that? Oh, I'm worried about my kids because, I, you know, if this happens and this happens and then they'll end up in prison and then, oh, man, oh, 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 stop, stop, stop. Got my, come on, come inside. We got to talk. Take every thought prisoner captive. In other words, now you're in control. And you say, it's, remember, we read just a little bit ago, it sets itself up against the knowledge of God, right? You say, did that come from God? Did that come from the Holy Spirit? Now, sometimes it will have come from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's like, yes, worry about your kids. They're heading down a road. Your job as a parent is to mold them and shape them and correct them. And yeah, sometimes it is. But the idea is that we take every thought captive. We stop that fear. We stop the cycle of fear. This thing that says, oh, if this happens, then this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen. And then I'm going to end up in a roadside ditch. So I'll go right back to here, right? We stop that. We say, where is this thought coming from? Father, is this coming from you? And I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes the answer will be no. It's coming from either our own flesh and our own inability to connect with our Heavenly Father that we know is going to take care of us. Or it comes from the enemy who wants to lie and deceive you and tell you that, that things are, are going to go poorly for you, that God can't take care of you. Remember, that was the lie in the garden. Oh, God doesn't know what he's doing. Go ahead. Do it. We take everything out captive. Now watch. The next part is really important. We don't just take it captive, okay, and find out who are you working for. We make it obedient to Christ. And so as we think of those fears, like may, maybe it is our kids, you know, and we're thinking, oh, boy, you know, uh, you know, they're doing this or they're doing that. Okay, okay, God, are you, is this you prompting me? And then what do I need to do out of obedience to make that right? Some of us are worried about our job because we're lazy, and God's going, you better, you better learn how to work, okay? And you think, oh boy, I don't want to lose my job. And that's God going, yeah, you don't want to lose your job. Start working as unto God rather than as unto man, okay? Again, from the word of God. Some of us are worried about our kids. And God said, yeah, I placed them in your care, you know? But we take every thought captive. Where's that thought coming from? What is that from? And how do I switch it around to make it glorify my heavenly father? So I'll put the verses here together. It says, we demolish arguments and every high thing, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every, uh, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You know, it says earlier in 2 Corinthians, it says the God of this world has blinded the minds, the thoughts of this world. We don't wage war that way. The weapons we fight with 
are divinely powerful. As we begin to take the word of God and we begin to read it and understand it and memorize it and apply it, all of a sudden our mind, and we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks, becomes renewed. And so that those thoughts, those fearful thoughts, when we take those captive, it becomes very easy to identify. And we do it very quickly so we don't end up heading down that, that, that road. 